0: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. There aren't many people I would rather have on the show after the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the middle of a white hot political fight and a constitutional discussion and so many interpretations of what the Constitution says and doesn't say and the role of the Senate and the role of the president. And I mean, look, Jonathan Turley even tweeted out, Jonathan Turley, who is not a Trump fan, and even said during his testimony during the Trump impeachment hearings, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I think ostensibly he was admitting he voted for Hillary. He didn't like Trump. And he said, "And I can't sit here in good conscience today and tell you that Trump's violating the Constitution here. This isn't, you know, so he's a pretty straight shooter, I think, Turley. And he said uh, in in a tweet last night, he pointed out, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's own words (laughs) in 2016. The president's job to pick a Supreme Court justice and the Senate's job to give advice and consent and vote on that justice. That doesn't stop just because the president's in his fourth year. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's on the record having said that, despite these deathbed wishes that we're supposed to believe, she said, in her, you know, final moments on Earth. Uh, But I couldn't think of somebody better to reach out to to confirm the process here and what we ought to know factually, constitutionally, than uh, our own friend and constitutional scholar, former federal prosecutor, author of the New York Times bestseller Ball of Collusion, Andrew C. McCarthy. Andy, thanks for waking up and starting the week with us. Good morning. It's
1: my pleasure, Chris. Great to
0: talk to you. Well, let's just talk about the facts before we get into any kind of specificity or emotions of it. The facts are true or false. The facts are, as Ruth Bader Ginsburg was quoted, the president's role is to pick a Supreme Court justice nominee to to fill a vacancy, and the Senate's role is to give advice and consent. They don't have to hold a vote, but that is structurally the way it's built, right? Yeah, I
1: think... Would be more accurate to say, Chris, that they both have the power to do that under the Constitution. There's nothing that requires the president to make a nomination, but he has the power to do that. And importantly, there's nothing that requires the Senate to uh, give its advice and consent. They can, um, but they can also do nothing, which is you know something that uh, the Senate uh, and and Congress in general frequently does when they don't want to take an accountable position on something. So, um, you know, I, I disagree respectfully with uh, the late uh, Justice Ginsburg in the sense that uh, she, she indicated that, uh, you know, it was basically the president's job to do to do this as if there would be something improper in not advancing a nomination. And to the extent that she suggested that the Senate must consider whoever the president picks, I don't think that's true. Uh, either. And I I just think that uh, the situation that always comes up here, Chris, uh, and the reason why we see uh, major politicians flip-flopping on this, you know, you have uh, President Obama, who at the end of his term insisted on making a nomination that really didn't have much chance of being considered, and now he acts like it would be a crime against humanity for Trump to do the same thing he did, So, why do these guys uh, flip flop? You know, it's power politics. The fact is, the president has this power, the Senate has this power, and how they uh, exercise it is a matter of political calculation. And these guys are politicians. They never like being caught uh, playing power politics, so they try to. Uh, swad what they're doing or swaddle what they're doing in uh, as if you know they were high-minded principles and precedents that controlled it and in point of fact there's not um, if the president thinks he can get his pick on he makes a pick uh, if he thinks he can pressure the Senate into giving the pick a vote as Obama tried to do uh, with Merrick Garland he tries to do that if the Senate understands that uh, to its base, its political base, uh, and this would be the Republicans in this instance, the Supreme Court is crucially important. And that if they roll over for an Obama pick when there's an opportunity to leave a seat open and have the voters decide who's going to be president, and the fact that the seat is open will help the Republican nominee, then they don't give a vote. Um, you know, these are political calculations. They're not the idea that there's a. You know, precedent here that controls what they have to do is just nonsense.
0: Here's what I wish we could all be honest. I don't, I, I, I appreciate and agree with your honest assessment here, but I think we also need to be honest. Uh, to the victor go the spoils in politics. I'm a partisan, right. and I'm very, very pleased to be a partisan and admit to you that when my side's in charge and in control, and the voters have chosen my side and empowered my side, in this case, the presidency and the Senate. Uh, I rah rah go team. I say that's first. I mean that's just me being nakedly partisan. But setting that aside, let's be clear and say any kind of sort of uh, deference that the uh, the minority side was given was shot to hell, courtesy of Democrat Harry Reid. And and to to forget that to strike that most important historical moment where Harry Reid said no longer does the minority get a say in how this proceeds, in in striking something that I know is not written in the Constitution, but that is that, that nuclear option that he invoked. You know, McConnell has since, appropriately, I think, said, okay, if that's the way you want to play, Democrats set in motion where we sit today, and I don't think it should ever be forgotten.
1: I, I couldn't agree with that more. Uh, but the other thing you always have to bear in mind is that, it does create a very dynamic kind of politics because when you have a filibuster in place and you know you have to get 60, your world of, of choices and opportunities shrinks dramatically. Right? If you only need a simple majority, then it becomes possible to bulldoze all kinds of things through. And the reason I point that out is, I'm like you. Uh, I, I would uh, well. You were probably more of a Trump supporter in 2016 than I was. But one of the reasons I voted for Trump, even though I had misgivings about him, was I was very concerned about the kinds of justices uh, and judges in general that Hillary Clinton would put on the courts. And I thought there was at least a chance that Trump would do, and it turns out he's been faithful to this, what he said he was going to do on the campaign trail, which was, listen to people at the Federalist Society, listen to people at the Heritage Foundation, uh, tap the talent that they have been uh, fostering for years and years, and put good, originalist judges on the bench uh, who would follow the law rather than make it up as they went along in a progressive direction. So I wanted that uh, more than I... That was probably my number one issue uh, in the election. But that said... Um, you have to play out what is going to happen here. I mean, I'm for President Trump trying to put a good judge on the court. The two judges who everybody is now talking about are excellent. I think either one of them would be a terrific Supreme Court justice. But he's not going to be able to do it unless he has the votes uh, in the Senate. It's no sure thing that he does have the votes in the Senate. And the politics of this are going to be – If we put, if he forces somebody on here uh, and we got the votes and we get this done, particularly if it's done in the lame duck session, if he's lost the election, the Democrats are going to go crazy when they get in and they will repeal the filibuster completely. They will enlarge the Supreme Court to either 13 or 15. They will put somewhere between, you know, three and six more. Uh, progressives on the Supreme Court, and that will change the balance of the Supreme Court forever. So all of this has to be weighed in. It's not just a question of, you know, does President Trump have the power to do this? We have to play this out like a, a chess game and understand what's happening.
0: But you're not, you're not. I mean, to be clear, I don't want to put words in your, in your mouth, Andy McCarthy. You're not suggesting that uh, if, if Republicans just play nicely, Democrats won't engage in naked, craven politics when they're in control?
1: Nope. I'm a, I'm a complete realist on that. I'm just, uh, I'm saying um, the political possibilities of what they'll be able to do when they're in control. You don't forget, if they're in control, uh, they have to worry about the bottom line too, like if they're going to get routed in the midterm. So, yep. you know, politics happens no matter what. But the more you create a situation where they feel justified in doing crazy stuff. The more likely it is, they'll do crazy stuff. i I, I wouldn't not do something, Chris, just because they're crazy. Um, but I would take account of, you know, what the what the political dynamic in the atmosphere is going to be well, based on, uh, yeah, how each side conducts itself. You, you, you can't not. I mean, it's just the way it. Works. I'll just say this. If
0: if you're concerned about a reaction to this, I think the reaction would be far more vicious if if let's say, and I'm not I'm saying if because I'm not convinced that Republicans lose the Senate, but there are a lot of people talking like it's a, a you know a fait accompli that they're going to lose control of the Senate. But all right, let's assume Democrats take the Senate and Biden wins the presidency. It would be fraught far more fraught with with problems and chaos and anger and all kinds of things if, if if trump and republicans on their way out the door uh drive home a uh a, a replacement instead of now right i would argue they should do it before the election i mean if if you know both are contentious, I agree with that. but yeah okay
1: yep. yeah i so, not only agree with that chris i think the the politics of it and the chances of it are much better before the election than after the election i think before the election First of all, if President Trump picks, as I think he will, an outstanding nominee, that's a great thing to run on because it really – it puts Biden in the position of either telling us what kind of judges he would put on the courts, which he's refrained from doing because they know that that is not going to help them, um, or he'll be silent, which will make President Trump's nominee, I think, look even better. Uh, But secondly – After the election, if the Democrats take the Senate, uh, and even if they don't, um, it looks very much like Kelly is going to beat McSally in Arizona. I think McSally's down by 10 or more points uh, in most of the polls. Um, And that's a special election. It's not an ordinary election. So under Arizona law, he could be in the Senate as early as November 30th.
0: Tuber, Tuberville, though, too getting, in Alabama, you know, Tuberville, same deal. He'll win that. Oh, is that right? I yeah,
1: did, I, yeah, I didn't realize that. But the but the point is that McConnell's going to have to keep an eye on what his margin is going to be, and it may be that the atmosphere for doing this is better before the election than after the election. Yep. And President Trump is in a stronger position while he's president than when he's a defeated president, or if he's a defeated president.
0: Yes, agreed. Um. Let me ask you if you could weigh in on what's happened here in Pennsylvania, because there was a Wall Street Journal piece. I don't know that I shared it here on the show last week, Um, but you know what happened. You've got a a Pennsylvania Supreme Court that basically said we can keep counting until Friday of election week. Um, The Republicans, I just found out this morning, have officially decided they're going to to lobby the United States Supreme Court. Isn't that fun Um, to weigh in? And uh, we don't know for a fact that they're, Supreme Court will even hear it because they've. I think they are loath generally to ever weigh in on matters of election law inside individual states. It seems they've already shown they won't. That's my bet. They just won't even hear it. But let's presume they do. I, 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 I mean, let's walk this out, Andy. You've got a, a in theory, a four-four. I don't think Roberts is a lock anymore to go five-three. So let's let's talk about four-four in the midst of an election. No. You know, a vacant Ruth Bader Ginsburg seat in the middle of whether or not we're going to be counting ballots well beyond Election Day? Yikes.
1: Yeah, well, you know, look, I I think what people need to bear in mind is when the Supreme Court has eight, um, that doesn't mean that the courts can't make a decision. It means that whatever decision is made by the lower courts, if the court splits four to four, that means the Court of Appeals decision, uh, whatever it is, is upheld. Um, so, it's not like you won't get any decision out of the federal courts. But, you know, we do now have the, the, uh, the uh, Bush v. Gore um, precedent. And it is pretty firm that um, the states are going to have a lot of latitude. They can't change the rules after the game's been played, but they can, you know, they can fidget with the rules. Up until a certain point before the election, so I, I I find it hard to believe that the Supreme Court, even though I, I think what what Pennsylvania has done is outrageous. I mean, I, the fact that uh, these uh, Democratic judges took it on themselves to rewrite a law that was perfectly appropriate law. I mean, they didn't even pretend they had a good reason to rewrite what their Congress did. They just manipulated a position, in, in a provision in the state constitution, and used that to do it. But, um, you know, (laughs) elections have consequences, right? Why do we keep electing these progressives into these high positions, uh, and then we're outraged by what they do, but we continue to do it? So I don't know that the Supreme Court will interfere in that.
0: And so, Andy, if we have no national standard, is there no – I mean, as you interpret the Constitution, should there be no constitutional standard for an election day, not an election week or an election month, mail-in voting. How do you read the Constitution as it relates to one person, one vote, one day?
1: Uh, I don't think that the Constitution recognizes that we don't have a single national election. We have uh, 50 elections in 50 sovereign states, and elections are traditionally a state law matter. Uh, so the, the few um, federal guidelines that apply... Are that you can't change the rules after the game's been played. You know you have to. You know there there are voter qualifications like you have to be uh, 18 and um, uh, a citizen authorized right to vote. But there's very little uh, federal control as far as that's concerned. Congress determines when election day is. That's uh, you know that's been determined for a very long time, and Congress has legislated a bunch of deadlines. That states have to comply with to get their final results to Congress, or they'll have to fear forfeiting that state's electoral votes. So the the only hammer that you have in federal law as far as getting this done is these timelines. Um, But I don't think Congress uh, has the power, unless we amend the Constitution, to tell the states how to conduct elections.
0: But in terms of it being on a day, like, uh, Election Day is this day. Congress sets that, as I understand it. Is that right? Correct. Right. Yep. Uh, but but there's no stipulation as to we can keep counting ballots for another four days after Election Day in individual states? There shouldn't be any constant I, That'd have to be an amendment, if so.
1: I believe, Chris, that the, the law is, it's, it's a, there's a formula in the statutes, and I believe that by December, I want to say December 8th, uh, but don't hold me to that, uh, the, Electors have to be picked in each state. Uh, Congress has to be given that information, I think, by December 14th. And on January 6th, uh, Congress convenes Mm -hmm. to count the votes. And on January 20th, at noon, as a matter of constitutional law, this is in the Constitution, the president's term ends. Mm -hmm. So we need to know who the president is going to be uh, by some time after January 6th, depending on how long it takes Congress to vo- to count the votes, if there's any disputes about that, there historically there's never been uh, disputes about that. There's a there's been you know an election that was kicked to the uh, House of Representatives, for example, in 1824-28. Um, but uh, you know there's a there's a constitutional procedure for what you do if no one has an electoral majority but there are strict timelines for when the states have to be done with their work and get those votes to congress just as a
0: practical matter i don't mind i mean this is why the whole notion of the russians rigging an election is so stupid and has always been so stupid to me because frankly we are these 50 independent laboratories where we're all doing our own thing and you get supreme courts in pennsylvania that are monkeying around with things you know different than a than the way alabama does things and and because we're so willy-nilly in terms of the way our our individual states' election laws are, that that's, number one, why it makes it almost impossible for a foreign government to rig an election. But right. But also, I do appreciate, frankly, that the Supreme Court probably ought to be pretty hands-off when it comes to how these states handle this stuff. I, I tend to kind of agree with that point of view, even though I hate what's going on in, in my state right now.
1: Yeah, and Chris, the other thing is, You know, uh, apropos of what we were talking about at the beginning, if the Republicans run into the Supreme Court and say, Supreme Court, save us, and at the same time they're trying to get a decisive vote on the Supreme Court, like, you know, put a new judge uh, in one of those slots, that's going to make it much harder to get the justice confirmed because that makes it all the more fraught. Uh, in in terms of, uh, you know, who's on the court and who's going the the shots. So, um, you know, all these things always interrelate.
0: You're very kind. I know you're going to be busy today and all week long and probably for the next several days uh, or weeks. So thank you so much, (laughs) Andy. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. Hope you'll come back. That's Andrew C. McCarthy, Ball of Collusion, his best-selling book. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Albert Moeller for townhall.com. This is no time for indecision. The battle for the future of the Supreme Court means that Republicans cannot fumble their responsibility to win confirmation of a new justice before Election Day. President Donald Trump has pledged to nominate a new justice quickly, and he indicated that he will appoint a woman to fill the seat left by the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has proven his ability to get President Trump's nominees through the confirmation process. Many will be calling on senators to wait until after the election, but Republican senators had better remember that voters will hold them accountable if they fail at this stewardship. Brace yourselves for an epic political battle and tell Republican senators that you will never forget how they handle this challenge. I'm Albert Mueller. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.